For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating today? For those of you who are here for the first time, welcome. My show is all about celebrating, celebrating life, celebrating art, celebrating whatever there is to celebrate. And believe it or not, there is a lot to celebrate if we take the time to do so. There are a few people that I'd like to celebrate to start our show tonight. First of all, I'd like to celebrate Kurt Peterson. He has a new show, Proud Ladies, and he also happens to be one of our sponsors tonight. So if you're going to be in New York on Monday, October 10th, and you can get a chance to see this show, by all means, I hope that you will. Um, I would also like to thank uh, Aaron Caleb uh, from the EMC Studio in Fine Arts uh, in Dumont, New Jersey. Uh, if Whether you are just starting out as a singer or if you've been around a long time, she's a great voice teacher and I highly recommend her. And also, Deborah Stone. Uh, she has a new show coming up on Sunday, October 9th at 7 p.m. If you get a chance, give them a hello, say hello, thank them for sponsoring Richard Skipper Celebrates. And uh, I also want to celebrate a very dear friend of mine, and that's Linda Pearl. Because last week, Linda Pearl reached out to me and she said, I have a recommendation for you. She said, have you interviewed Sasha Fernandez? And I said, I love her. And she said, yes, I did. And she said, well, I think you should have her on the show. And it was a no brainer because each time I've had the opportunity, she may not know it, but I've been in the audience a few times. And each time I've seen her, uh, I'm blown away by her artistry. Uh, her gift of giving to the audience. And she is just one of those artists that gives and gives and gives. And if I'm not mistaken, you just finished a production of The Drowsy Chaperone. Am I correct? <laughs> Let me tell you, yes is the answer. And that musical, I'm sorry, we may have some people, we throw things at me but I think it's the best musical comedy ever written. I'm thrilled by that show. I was thrilled to do it on Broadway and I was even more excited that they asked me back to do it so many years later. I just love every minute of it. Well, I mean, there were so many elements to that show. First of all, seeing it on Broadway and I remember seeing sitting in the theater and as soon as the show starts, you are sucked into this incredible world that everybody who grew up loving musical theater automatically is pulled into this world. And I know that they have said that there's so many people have come up and said, oh, you know, that man in the chair, that's me. And I love the fact that so many people compare themselves to someone who is sitting alone at night listening to musical comedy, the same album over and over and over again. Did you have an album that you listened to growing up? You know, it's interesting because I didn't come from a musical theater family, but my father loved the theater. So we listened to Camelot until every lyric was burnt into my head, My Fair Lady. We went and saw a Thoroughly Modern Millie about 30 times in the theater when I was little. I mean, we listened to every cast album that was available. We always had musicals going in our house. Well, you were fortunate because I grew up, you and I talked just briefly about this uh, before we went live. I grew up on a tobacco farm pretty much in South Carolina. And the fact that I was listening to show albums, uh, as my parents called them, um, they just did not know what to make of me. Uh, and uh, we had one of those uh, singular movie theaters in my hometown, and my parents would drop me off on a Saturday afternoon. I remember when That's Entertainment came out, 1974, uh -huh. and I was in heaven. And my, it, I mean, talk about a transformative experience, but look at this. I mean, <laughs> I just love th this 
I mean, listen, I I stood by for Beth Lovell, who won the Tony for the Drowsy Chaperone when it was on Broadway. I've actually understudied Beth a, a couple of times in my career, but um, I stood by for her and I got to go on a couple of weeks total that entire run because she's a stalwart dame and, you mm -hmm. know, just wouldn't miss, you know, you'd have to chop an arm off for her to miss a, a show. But she did take a few vacations. Thank you, Beth. And uh, so when they asked me to do this and that I got to own that role myself and and come up with my, of course, Beth Level was with me the whole way. You can't get that brilliance out of your head. But to be able to come up with my own version of her and to, to live inside those shoes, literally and figuratively, that Beatrice Stockwell, which is the character's name of the drowsy chaperone, she is a pip. You know, she just comes in and chews the scenery, and I loved every minute of it. I mean, it, it's, I mean, for any actress who gets the chance to play a role like that, uh, are there other roles that have inhibited, uh, not inhibited, inhabited uh, your. Uh, There's those two. We can talk about those two, uh, but a role that has inhabited your uh, psyche, your persona, as much as uh, Beatrice? I would have to say, for comedies, she's probably it. Like I've been lucky enough to play um, Reno Sweeney, you know, which is a gas. But they wrote that for for our darling, dear departed Ethel Merman, mm -hmm. who didn't like to say words on the stage, you know. So you come out and you have basically a lead into a song, and then you you belt your face off, right? But Beatrice, uh, Bob Martin, and his team wrote her so fully. It was. It was, it's just so different, you know, because she really gets to build a character throughout the show, has a relationship, says words, sorry, Ethel, but she says words. And um, I think for me, the other two roles that kind of changed how I see developing a character was when I was lucky enough to play Diana in Next to Normal. Um, I got to do the First regional production happened in Colorado, and then the second regional production was in Florida. It started a week later. So I got to do it as soon as it closed on Broadway and the rights became available. I jumped right into it. And, th and that, that changed my that changed my life. That really how, how does one how do you pace yourself uh, with a role like next to normal? Uh, I mean, it, it is just such a raw role to play. And as a spectator sitting in the audience, watching you go through those emotions, uh, you know, for a couple of hours, and then to go through that eight times a week, how does one do it? Well, lucky for me, Richard, I've had years of therapy. So... <laughs> Lucky for me, I went in there with a little backup help in my backpack, you know. Um, but I tell you what, I sat down with a uh, couple of the friends that had done the Broadway production. One was the stage manager of the tour, and I quizzed him. We had three lunches. Yeah, we spent about six hours together before I went down there because I was worried about that. I, um, you know, know Alice Ripley peripherally and... And I know what she went through. I, I know what she was doing to get herself through it. And I am tough, you know, I am tough, but but there's a level of having to having to put on those emotional trappings. You have to, or you're not doing the piece justice. So I I was ready when I went down there. And the way I approached it was I just decided to make it a, a family effort. So the, the kids that were in the company with me were so on board and we would go out to breakfast together or go out after the show and we would talk about the family dynamic. And once we, once we were opening, I was so in this play that I was able to almost put it aside a little bit because I dove into all the emotional things in rehearsal. We did it off campus. I, I did the work before I got down there emotionally. So so really when we started rehearsal, my brain was already like month two, you know, I, I was able to dive in and do the work and, and not let the emotions 
get away with me. As a matter of fact, the, the stage manager down there said, I've got you your own dressing room. And I said, no, 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 do, do not put me in a dressing room by myself. So I asked for company and I would get, because I like to celebrate people too, Richard. We share that. I love that. That's yeah. great. So I would get ready and then I would dart out of that dressing room and act like an idiot in the hallway. And we had a little ritual before the show every night where I'd make everybody stand in the wings and pull the bars down of the roller coaster we were about to go on. Skagunk. And then we would just dive into that play. And while we were in it, we were fully in it. And then the minute I would, the minute the curtain would come up, you know, go down at the end, I, I would just, as best I could, let it go. Just let it go. Like well, the song says, let it go. Wow, amazing. With okay. each of these shows, I choose a word of the day. And I know that I picked the right word for today. And the word is respect. Huh? And already I'm hearing from you this respect that you have for all of these other artists that you've worked with. Um, and I want to ask you, first of all, the word respect what does that word mean to you in this business, both giving and receiving? That's so, that's a, it's a great word. And I think it's a word that comes with lots of prongs, right? Mm -hmm. I think it comes with a grace and I think it comes with being quiet. And I think it comes with, Respect to me is knowing when something's worth fighting for. So I, I respect as an artist, when I walk into a rehearsal room, I respect everyone's voice. Mm. I respect what everyone has to say. Uh, you know, you're from South Carolina. I'm from uh, Georgia. We were raised Southern, which is part of it, you know, but I like to let understand that everybody comes from different backgrounds. Everybody comes to their conclusions for their own reasons. You know, they all had parents that screwed them up too. So, exactly. <laughs> amen. Yes. So yes. I like to give everybody the grace and respect of having their own opinion. So that's how I respect others. I have to really like people too. Uh, well, you and I are in the same boat there. Um, but do you feel that you've ever been uh, not respected in this industry? And if so, I can't imagine. Is that a trick question? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, I can't imagine it happening. And if so, what got you through that situation? Yeah. Well, I have been disrespected. And with that disrespect, that, that word to me comes with a prong of misunderstood. I have been misunderstood and therefore disrespected and i'm not sure i'm i'm not sure i'm through it yet because i think one of the hardest things for any person with an open heart is to be misunderstood mm. and they're, therefore disrespected like i am i'm so e even I'm, I'm a pretty nice gal you know like i said i give everybody their say and the reason i was misunderstood is because it's like I said, I like to let everybody have their voice, but then when it gets to a certain level and I understand that somebody's not being heard and maybe that somebody is me, I will stand up for myself. And sometimes people mistake that for uh, disrespect and mm -hmm. it, it never is with me. It's like, I won't say anything unless I feel a line has been crossed. And then I feel like, you get to say what you want to say, but but so do I. Good for you. That's yeah. great. That's great. But respect well, is everything. And I, I feel like we we lose a little bit of that. I'm going to sound ancient, but I think we lose some of that in the way we're teaching our, our um, college uh, artists now. Because they're, we have a system where we're trying to teach people to brand themselves and stand up for themselves. But what we're not teaching is empathy and the kind of respect that you're talking about. Oh, I'm so glad you said that yeah. because it is so true. And, and the other thing that's missing and uh, which is very, very important. And I know that you uh, agree with me on this is our history yeah. and what has gone before us and respecting those that have paved the way yeah. for where we are today. 
And I feel that, that somehow that's being negated. It's being negated um, in our award shows oh. when Lifetime Achievement Awards are being given during a commercial break yeah. uh, and people at home are not even seeing and hearing who those people are. And uh, when a name is mentioned and someone says, well, I don't know who that is. And it's because they've never been exposed to that person. Right. We need to respect who these people are. Right. And, and know that this art form didn't start with <coughs> nothing against rent. Cause I love that musical, but <laughs> this art form didn't start with rent. It exactly. started, you know, decades before that. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. I think we, I, I'm lucky enough to mentor college students every year uh, between eight and 20, depending on how many kids sign up for this program with Open Jar. I don't know if you know Jeff Whiting, but but I'm so lucky because I get to work with these postgraduate college students from all over major you know, universities. And I, I don't know that I'm a better vocal coach or a better acting teacher than the ones they've had in their universities. I'm probably not. But I, what I do know is that when they come to me, the humanity of what they're being taught is something that I feel like this city deserves, needs, this industry, industry deserves and needs. So you come to me with your, with your book, book learning, but I'm going to teach you and talk to you about how to respect the people around you and, and not to be jealous or, or pit yourself against somebody I, I don't think we're in a business of competition, even though it's part of it, because you don't make the decision whether I'm cast or my neighbor's cast or my neighbor's cast. That's a behind the table decision. So we all need artists. We all need to be on the exact same team. We are we should be a squad. Oh, what a great way of looking at things. Um, and who are the teachers that instilled this in you? Oh, my gosh. I For me, I think... Part of it is being the youngest of four women, four girls being raised because I was the one who was never, I kind of had to be the one who yelled the loudest to, to be heard. Mm. So I, I, knew, I knew what it was like to have to fight to be heard. So I always fight for that person. But as far as, as in New York, I, I think it was the, the directors, uh, it, you know, it was, it was Richard Stafford. It was, Tony Stevens. Did you know him? Oh, Richard? yes, I did. Very well. Uh, yeah. Tony taught me. He hired me for one of my first principal roles outside of the city. And he he handed me all of these spiritual books. And he he really guided me through. And it, it, this was Reno Sweeney, too. I've got to play it a couple of times. I got to do it at Westchester Broadway right before it uh, the pandemic. But I saw you. You didn't. I did. I live right across the river. And I want to say losing that theater oh. to the pandemic uh, was like a knife going through me. Now, um, I want to ask you, because in addition uh, to everything, uh, you have a new project that you uh, you just had your first play produced. Am I correct? You're right. Yes. yes. Do you want to tell us about this? Yes. And you're do, you're doing this play uh, with Danny Rooney, I think is his name. That's right. I one of the things when I was doing Mamma Mia on Broadway, one of one of the epiphanies I had was that I didn't care if people didn't love what I was doing. One of the things I realized is that I needed to write for myself. I, I sort of stood in my own way and you know, let the perfection be the enemy of good or whatever that saying is. I, I thought if I wasn't good enough, I shouldn't do it. And um, when I was in Mamma Mia, you know, you have the luxury of that long running show. I just, I just said, this is the, this is my time to do it. So my friend Danny Rooney and I wrote a Christmas musical. We started with something, you know, simple. It's a musical called A Small Town Christmas. Mm hmm and it's sort of a cross between waiting for Guffman and Hairspray. It's very silly, but the music is beautiful. <gasps> there we are! Uh, when was the last time you saw Danny? I saw him uh, about three weeks ago on the street. Ah! 
I saw you on the screen at your breakfast cart. At the breakfast cart. Hi, honey. Hi, Stacia. I just got a message from Richard, and I was in the middle of dinner, and I said, hey, why not? I, I, I literally wrote him, like, uh, moments before we went live. I you said, guys know each other? No, no, we don't. But we do now. We do now. Danny, Hi, Richard. Danny so nice to meet you. Danny is absolutely delightful. He is a younger person than I am, but he's a he's a task completer. He's an amazing dramaturg. He's a brilliant composer. He's a playwright in his own right. He's got projects coming out his ears. He's we we had a blast, didn't we? We sure did in Columbia, Missouri. We sure did. My wow. friend Jennifer Noth is the artistic director of Columbia's uh, uh, Danny. What that they just turned it into? It's not a Arts it's College. Stevens College it's a of conservatory. conservatory. And she called me and she said, I love your musical. Can we do it? And we said, you're darn right. <laughs> well, I wanted to bring Danny on because we, we know so much about you as an actress, but this is a new realm for you. Am I correct? Definitely. And it's not my, my only play. I wrote a, uh, a, a very serious play that Cheryl uh, Caller is mentoring as well. I mean, I uh, it's called The Loop, and that, that one's a, a story about three women and so the matriarch of the family uh, ha has Alzheimer's. It's very different from our Christmas musical. But yes, I, I really have started to express myself as, as a writer. I, I wrote and starred in a a web series called Middle Stage. <laughs> Wonder what that was about. Um, a few years ago, and it really lit a fire for me to to just I want to be heard as a writer. So, and well, Danny, now you're being heard. So I'd like to talk in either one of you run with it um, about collaboration and what the collaborative process uh, was like with the two of you and how you got it actually on the boards. Oh, well, I, I mean, the collaborative process was amazing. Stacia came to me with um, a book and and some essentially poetry, you know, like some lyric ideas, you know, and and I ran with some songs and um, and then it's it kind of sat for a little while, you know, it sat for maybe a year and a half or something. Um, and then during, honestly, during COVID, during lockdown, I was like, Stacia, I think we have something here and, and, and let's re-explore it. And so we, we sort of, it was a two act, we turned it into a one act with no intermission. We retooled the story a little bit, um, wrote some new songs. And um, I think, you know, Stacia and I got really lucky. We were, we were you know, hooked up from uh, my old friend, Sharon Saig, who's, did Mamma Mia with you and is is in Come From Away now. Um, she sort of hooked us up together and it was a fast friendship and I think a really fast collaboration. Um, yeah. So we had a ball and oh we, went, we went through a few orchestrators together. Like we weathered a few storms. <laughs> you, <Danny and> you. <laughs> yeah. And listen, and Danny and I, we, we didn't know each other at all. So when you talk about collaboration, we just respected each other, Richard. Mm -hmm. Danny respected me because I'm older and wiser. And I respected Danny because he, I had seen a, a production of, that he did of another musical. I went and saw the reading of that and I was just blown away by his talent. So even in our sessions online, we would limit it to about, because we didn't know each other very well, we would limit our sessions to, you know, an hour, an hour and a half, two hours. We'd give each other notes or takeaways, and then we'd go away and we'd do our work and then we would come back together. And we did that regularly. We just, we kept a routine, we kept a schedule and we got it and we're still friends. Well, and we and lived in a house together in Columbia, Missouri for six weeks. We, we sure did. Um, and we did not, we didn't kill each other. We had some really good times though. I mean, one of the most amazing things too, for me is that, you know, I, I will sit there. 
I'll, I will have texted Station. I'll say, I think we need like a new, a new line to get us into this song, something funny. And she will send me like four or five ideas. And I'm like rolling on the ground because she's too funny. And I'll say, I think this is the funniest one. But You, you pick. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't carry a lot of, that's probably because I started writing later in life and have had a, you know, I, I've been in a lot of rooms with a lot of writers, you know, so I, I nothing's too precious to be discussed or cut. <laughs> so how long did it take you to actually write this piece? And then how long after writing it before you actually started putting it on the, uh, on the stage? What do you think, Stacia? Well, that second rewrite, and that was really Danny's brainchild. Like you said, during the pandemic, we, uh, there's TJ. Hi, TJ. There's There's our partner. We live in a studio, so everyone's everywhere. Okay. (laughs) We, um, I think the first draft was probably a year. It was probably a year. And then when we started in the pandemic, that was pretty quick because Danny had some really good ideas and was and we had a lot of time on our hands and we had a lot of time on our hands so that one happened pretty fast and it was really it was last uh last july one year ago or yeah may yeah june or july that jen called and said we want to do your musical and by golly we were there in october yeah wow that's amazing fast and And how where our show is licensed by broadway licensing so we're we're very lucky because we did a production and now anybody in the country can do it. Well, and what's the next step for well, Hallmark musicals, they well, they're doing musicals now. Are you aware of that? The well, Hallmark Channel? Well, oh, do well. you know do you know that I am a part owner in a company that makes movie musicals, Richard Skipper? I did not know that. Streaming musicals. Yes. They, yes. We made, uh, we just made our 11th musical. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yes. Yep. So we, you know, if we get ourselves together, we can put Small Town Christmas on the screen. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. Yes. So are there other theaters now? Is it uh, a possibility that this is going to be going out to many other theaters? And I say many uh, intentionally. Uh, so, uh you know, maybe it, it's going to be the next uh, Christmas story. It's going to be all over the country. Well, we would love that. And and it would be, we we're talking to a few theaters because of the pandemic, Richard, because people uh, postponed their productions for two years. A Christmas musical is a little tough, but it does, not impossible, not impossible, but it's a little tough to slot it in because if they're going in sequence of the ones that got booted, mm-hmm. but but because we're with Broadway licensing, um, and I was talking to their marketing person the other day, all we really have to do is push it into those empty slots. It's a small musical. It's a hilarious musical with a heart of gold. So, so, so we're excited you. about it. Well, Danny, I want to thank you for popping in because this was a last minute ask and we don't know each other. And uh, I hope you'll stay in touch and you'll be back. Absolutely. I'll do anything for Stacia Fernandez. So, you know. I feel like this is your life. (laughs) Bye, Danny. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, you, Danny. (laughs) Wasn't that fun? (laughs) You're hilarious. That was great. No, I just reached out to him because I was going through my notes and I thought, I'll see if he's on Facebook. Thank you, Facebook. They do have some redeeming qualities. That's one of them. That's one so of them. That's there. I want to go back. You grew up in Atlanta. Uh, you and I are opposites. Uh, I'm the oldest of four. You're the youngest of four. Um, being the oldest of four, um, it, it's a completely different dynamic. Um, I, being the oldest of four, uh, my parents made me responsible for everything they did. And uh, being the youngest of four, you always want to be heard, as you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, did anyone else in your family want to go into this profession? No. 
my oldest sister uh, sings with her husband. He's a really talented musician and they do, um, you know, uh, pub, pub gigs and mm -hmm. all jobs. And she sings with him, but that's only in the last 10 years of her life. So no, but I'll tell you something which is fascinating that just goes to genetics. My father was accepted into the actor's studio, which I didn't know until I was 38 years old. Wow. So I had already been on Broadway. I'd already moved up here. I had a whole career. I didn't know where it came from. Nobody else in my family had ever done it. I didn't even know it was an option as a career. And then my father told me that. And I was, and you know, that generation. But I didn't know why he didn't tell me. And I think he thought I was going to get my heart broken, honestly. I think he was trying to protect me in some way. So it obviously was in the in the genes, but I just didn't know it. Well, Ann Schwartz is here as well from your high school band. What? She's watching. <laughs> If I knew how to private message her, I would bring her on as well, and she would. Oh my her. gosh! Well, it's so funny because hi, Anne. When you were talking about like where did you learn respect, and I talked about the directors that I worked with in New York, like Tony and and Richard Stafford. But the truth of that is, and Anne can relate to this. We had a band director. I was the drum major in my high school uh, band program for three years. And the man that was the uh, the musical director, you know, the band leader, his name was Bucky Johnson. And he t showed me what it was like to lead with grace. He was stern, but hilarious. He was, he, he got everything that he wanted out of every child in that marching band because we all loved him so much. So he led with respect and joy. Wow. So I learned it from him more than anybody. I, because I spent every waking moment in, the, in that program. You know, that was my life. Not, not, not musical theater, not the arts. I did do a couple of plays, but I thought I was going to write halftime shows. And I was a flute player and I played with the ballet orchestra in, in Atlanta. I thought I was going a completely different path. But when did the path switch for you? When you realized that you could have a career and that you were going to go to New York and how did that move happen for you? Well, when I, um, I was conducting, I, I conducted some of the musicals at Georgia State University. I went to Georgia State because the symphony guys taught there. So I went to study with Paul Britton. And um, so I was conducting West Side Story. And the young woman that was playing Anita bailed. <laughs> so like a week before we opened, I put down the baton and got up on stage because I was the only one who had uh, you know, I, I sang with the jazz band. I could sing. I could. I could sing. So I got up on stage, and they taught me all that original Robbins choreography. And I did the show, and they made the mistake of giving me an award. So that you give me a statue, and it's all over. <laughs> so I started doing. I was like the baton stayed down, and and I just started doing. You know, community theater, then regional theater, and then. Uh, a dear a mentor of mine in Atlanta named Robert Ray's like, you have to move to New York. He, he, he kicked me out the door. Good so, for him. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Robert. Mm -hmm. So was it an equity card that brought you to New York or did you get your equity card after you got to New York? I got my equity card at the Alliance theater. Yeah. I did a carnival down there. It was my, my first professional show and they gave me my card back when they would do that, you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, my equity card just arrived yesterday. So are paid. So, um, and what was that moment like when you got your card? Did you realize at that point in your life, the enormity of becoming a member of actors equity? Not even a little bit. 
I had, because I had no training in that way. So everything was an epiphany. Everything was new. Everything was unexpected. I I was young and I was green and I, you know, I I guess talented, you know, I don't think it's cocky to say that. I think I had a pretty decent amount of talent. And when I moved to New York, Richard, I was married. I I was, I told my husband, I told my friends, I said, you know, I'm going to go to New York for three weeks. (laughs) And if I don't book something, I'll be back. That is exactly what I said. And your husband was fine with it with this. Yeah, because I was going for this short, tiny little bit of time. I was just going to go try it out. Now, may I ask what year this was? Well, you could ask, but then I'd have to kill you. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm only asking because I'm trying to put in perspective. I came to New York in 1979. Uh, You can simply say it was before that it was after. No, no, it was, I could tell you it was uh, 1990 because when I got to the city, I booked Jerome Robbins Broadway. I booked the national tour of Jerome Robbins. I landed in town and I booked that show. Wow. Now, first of all, I, again, Jerome Robbins Broadway, which I saw on Broadway, was the tour as big as the Broadway production was? Well, it was the Broadway production. Not, it, I would say 70, I wish Suzanne Fletcher was on this call because she could tell you exactly. I think 70 to 80% of the Broadway company went on tour with it. They took the whole thing to Japan and then they came and started the tour in the United States and I joined the tour in the United States. Wow. And Scott Wise was still out there. A Faith Prince wasn't out there. Jennifer Allen had taken over for her. But 75% of the Broadway company was still on the road. Those All of those amazing dancers. So I cut my teeth on that show. Wow. I ask, I mean, because, first of all, if you can explain to everyone who may not, may not know, that was such an amazing Big, big production. Yeah, um, you don't see shows like that anymore. No, they actually just did that show uh, at the Muni right before the pandemic. They they remounted it. I didn't go see it, but I had some friends go see it, and they, they were like, "They did a they did a very good job." But Jerome Robbins, oh, where's Suzanne when you need her? He 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 was the most formidable major choreographer of his day. Mm-hmm. Funny what happened on the way to the forum, uh, West Side Story, The King and I, um, uh, the Max Senate, oh, shoot, what's the name of that show? See, this is my, this is my old age. Hybrid Shoes. Hybrid. Yes, thank you. So th- it was a retrospective of, of all of Peter his Peter Pan, work. Gypsy. Gypsy, uh, all every- of them. And this had slices of, so it, you, to call it anything but selections of his masterpieces was, it, it is doing it a disservice. It was an amazing show. And, and my very first professional show when I, when I hit New York. And everybody that was in it, I remember when I joined the company in Miami and the dancers would be in the rehearsal hall at four o'clock in the afternoon because they had to spend all of that time warming up to be able to do all of these different styles of dance. So I entered this business when I moved to New York with a level of respect for dancers and for the dedication it takes to actually make a show happen because of that show. I mean, it was a a complete gift. Amazing. So you did get that show within your, those three weeks. I did. <laughs> <laughs> so when you called your husband and said, I booked a show, what was the response? It's all downhill from there, I'll tell you. No, he he was, uh, he actually did understand. He, he very wisely said, you know, I'm not going to stand in the way of your dreams. And, um, and, and we, we, our, our marriage did not make it for various reasons. I don't think Jerome Robbins was the reason, but uh, but he was very, very supportive. And I don't think my family quite knew what to make of it since they had no, nothing, no, no, no frame of reference. Frame they had no reference. frame of reference. Yeah. You know, I, I remember the showbiz kids, you know, their parents would come see them on tours, five, six, seven, eight cities. They just kept showing up. I couldn't get my folks to come. We saw it already. You know, so if they saw it, they saw it. That was it. 
but that's okay. You know, it sort of kept me grounded. You know, it, it keeps yes. you all, yeah. yeah. Welcome to my world. Yes. Yeah. I know exactly what you're you talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. And it's important to them and they, they're, they really are proud of me. Uh, but, but it's just a different thing. And it puts things in perspective when you have, when you come from that kind of a background where, uh, you know, it reminds me of that moment in Mommy Dearest where she says, why can't you give me the respect that everyone else gives me? Because I'm not one of your fans. I'm not one of your fans, right? Yes. yes. Right. Uh, but so you, this happens and uh, you go on tour with this. Um, your mind was made up that you were going to come back to New York to pursue this career. And did you have any other survival jobs or... Was it always in the business? I, I never, uh, never will say I had no survival jobs, but I will tell you I had no regular survival survival job. I babysat on occasion. <laughs> I worked at my friend Russ Jones's uh, gift shop on the Upper East Side called Flights of Fancy during the Christmas holidays when I was home. <laughs> I, I, you know, would do a gift show here and there, but I've, I've been really, really lucky. I, and you know what, Richard, with Westchester Broadway thrown in there with Bill and Bob and Lisa Tiso, you know, I did, oh, I did 12 Lisa, yeah. shows there, 12 shows. So between my Broadway career and Lisa and Bill and Bob being so dedicated to me as a, as an artist, you know, I, I was just always able to fill fill the gaps. I want to talk about another theater. The last uh, time that I saw you, I think was in Beauty and the Beast at Paper Mill Playhouse. Oh, uh, wasn't that a good production? This was a phenomenal production, but I will say this. I have never seen a bad production at uh, Paper Mill Playhouse. Yeah. I'm getting ready to, I, you know, I did Annie there with Beth Level playing Mrs. Hannigan, the most genius Mrs. Hannigan you've ever seen. And I understudied her and played like Mrs. Pugh or whatever. And um, and then I did bandstand at the paper mill. And then Mark Hobie threw good old Mrs. Potts my way. And I loved doing that show. Wow, you were so Allie's much fun. And Gavin. Oh, I mean, ah, oh, so fun. And now I'm going to go do um, Sound, Sound of Music. Today. I'm going to be there. I'm going to come see you. I'm going to do Sound of Music. Of course, this is, you know, just a story about age. Uh, I uh, I saw the breakdown and my manager calls me. He's like, is there anything for you in this show? And I said, well, I'm not Maria. That's for sure. I said, <laughs> what about Elsa Schrader? I said, you know, if the captain is a little older, I could play Elsa. Well, I get an audition to play Frau Schmidt. And I just looked at my my life partner, Joe, and I was like, well, here we are. <laughs> and I'm thrilled about it, Richard. Thrilled. I walked in that audition room and I, I, I told Patrick Parker and uh, Mark Hobie, I said, I've spent two and a half years aging into this part. You're welcome. <laughs> Good for you. You're welcome. So are there roles on your bucket list that you have not played that you just are chomping at the bit to play? I am so ready for Mrs. Lovett. I am so ready for Mame. I am so ready for Hello Doll for Dolly Levi. I am so ready for Mama Rose. My own take. It's going to be my own take, but I'm so ready. So ready. Oh, and I want to see you do all of those. I mean, well, some theater, uh, well, that's going to be producing your show uh, needs to do a whole season. Uh, celebrating you. Oh, what the, isn't that a great idea? <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna. Have, I, I want to do. Have a little fun with you right now. So I want to do what I call my wind down questions. So these are just non sequitur questions that I'm going to ask you. I put some questions together and I'm going to randomly ask these questions. And three of them are surprise questions that I've not even looked at. Oh. Before we go live. So the first question is, what are the top three things on your bucket list? You've already told us about roles that are on your bucket list. But what are three things that you would love to do that 
are on your bucket list? I want to go to Greece. Have you ever done it? Nope. Uh, oh my God. Incredible. I want to go to Greece. Yeah. There's no reason I can't, you know, I've saved a little money. I could go to Greece, but I don't know why I don't. That's the show business part of me. Why? I can't go. What? I can't go. I got to stay here. Um, but I'm going to go to Greece. I want to live on a lake. I want to live on a lake and have a big garden. I really want to do that. And I want to be sure that I spend enough time with my mom before she leaves this planet. And I'm going there next Friday. That one I'm taking care of. Okay. So I'm going to put things. Okay. First of all, uh, write this down. Uh, the uh, Greece trip, uh, do the Windstar cruise. Uh, that's the cruise. It's a small cruise ship, uh, 150 passengers. Okay. Very intimate. Uh, that was, I did that cruise a few years ago, long before COVID, the best way to go. Um, Wolf Lake up in uh, the Catskills. Uh, they have cottages that you can rent for the summer. Okay. And uh, bring your mom up and uh, let her stay with you in the cottage for the summer. I'm gonna do that. That's how you do it. So I'm gonna do it. Um, now the next question again, a surprise question. Um, and I already think of you in this position, but it says, how can you become a better role model? I already think of you as a role model. How could you be a better role model? You know, since I am lucky enough to do it for so many years for Jeff, I've been practicing it. And it, what's, what's interesting, Richard, is it's become a part of me. So I, I'm not saying there's not room for improvement, but I, I've gotten better at it as mm -hmm. the years have gone by. And one of the things that I know is true is that people need to be heard. So I think I could listen more. Absolutely. Wonderful. Um, so I'm pulling this card. It's, it's a card called Advice First. And it says, if you want someone to say yes to you, ask them for advice about that thing first. For example, honey, what color suits you best? I want to get a new coat. And this, that's how it works. Giving advice makes people feel like they contributed to your decision. What was the best advice that was ever given to you in terms of your career path? Oh, gosh, that's tough, Richard. I think to figure out... I, I know what it is. It's to figure out Todd, Todd Ellison, actually the conductor Todd Ellison. He, he probably doesn't know this, but he taught me the greatest lesson to put fear aside. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't approach things with fear anymore because of him. How did he do that? I was about to, I, I had this leading role that I was playing up at the Norma Terrace at the Goodspeed, my, one of my favorite places to work. Uh, one of my favorite theaters as well. It's one of my favorite places to work. And we were doing a show together and I was, it was supposed to go to Broadway. Warren Carlyle was directing it. Yeah. I was the star of the show. Gary Beach was my, you know, played opposite me. I was so <laughs> full of fear and he walked me out to the car one day after a Sunday matinee when we were still in rehearsal. We hadn't even had a first preview yet and he could see through me and he said, I don't want you to lose this job. He's like, you've got to go home and figure out how to get what we saw in your audition back in your heart. Wow. Which he's absolutely right because I was just, I was everything. I was acting out of fear. I was reacting out of fear. I mean, I'm with the king of comedy and this gigantic Broadway director. I was just, and I did it. 
I, I, I seriously did it. I'm sorry. I talk about Beth so much, but I love her so much. The first oh, me thing, too. She's been on the show. I love you, Beth. Oh, I love her too. The first thing I did was call her and I said, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And she's like, he's right. Let it go. Figure it out. And I did. I really did. So Good thank you, Todd. Thank yes, you, Todd. Thank you, Todd. That's great. Todd. What are your truths? Oh. Just my truth is that I'm Spanish. My truth is that I'm compassionate. My truth is that I'm hilarious. <laughs> my truth is that I love gardening. I love my family. And I'm going to be okay when show business doesn't show up for me anymore. I'm going to be okay. Um, and I think, I think my truth is that I, I also have more to do. I feel it. I feel it. I feel like I've just, my truth is that I've stepped into this new part of myself that is very exciting. The phone's Absolutely. ringing more. It's very exciting. I feel it. Um, on Friday, I do a Friday wrap-up show. And uh, our Friday, and I, this is a hold-up over question from Friday, because Friday was um, wonderful weirdo day, believe it or not. So all of my guests, we celebrated being weirdos. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you this question that I asked everybody on Friday. Is weirdo to you an insult? Oh my God, no. I, listen, I'm a musical theater gal. You know, I, I talk with my hands. I'm big. I, sometimes I catch myself in the mirror. I'm like, you know, at my age, you shouldn't be like everywhere you go. But I do. And sometimes I'll catch myself in a shop window and I'm like, does that still look okay on me? Is, that, is it still okay for me to be a weirdo? Yes. You know, I, I did learn that from my dad. Like he used to put his hat on sideways and wrap a tie around his head and, and put another tie around his shirt and wear like long Bermuda shorts and play the worst clarinet you've ever heard. Just stomping up wow. and down. Yeah. I learned from the master. He was a weirdo. That was great. I love it. Yeah. What was the hardest musical role? Um, well, you mentioned next to normal. Would you consider that the hardest musical role that you've ever done it, it, emotionally yes i also played dusty springfield in a production that we got to do at p-town years ago and i and it didn't have a life we had some no reason because it was a brilliant play i, I hope it actually resurfaces and a, a friend of mine and i are, are talking about trying to figure out how to get it to happen again because dusty died when she was a little older than, than me. So I, I still actually have room to play that, but um, that was hard. That was hard because Dusty had so many fans and I wasn't doing an imitation of her and it really disappointed some people. I was just trying to get the essence of her. Mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. um, but I think probably Diana next to normal was the, was the toughest journey. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What is the most rebellious thing that you've ever wanted to do? Just wanted to do? Because I've yes. done a few. <laughs> the most... I really have done some very rebellious things. Uh, the what, Something that I wanted to do but didn't do. Oh, I'll give you one. There was... <laughs> I wanted to stop... This was at the Westchester. I wanted to stop a show because we had very unruly people in the top row. It was it was just something that I know Bill and Bob would not have gone well for. I think they were drunk and I wanted to stop the show and walk off stage. That's what I wanted to do. But you didn't. I didn't. No. Although I did stop it another time and got in big trouble for it, but that was because wow. we had a, it was a student matinee and they were acting like crazy people. Wow. Why are you passionate about what you do? 
I, I have such a great respect for storytelling. I think that we are the philosophers of our time. Uh, actors and artists are philosophers. And I think if we don't show people, not all people, but if we don't show people how to feel or that emotion is okay, they're never going to know. There is something about what we do for a living that allows people to see themselves in others. And boy, do we need that. So I, I really think it's a, it's a, it's a social necessity. And it scares me when I see people thinking that TikTok is entertainment. Mm, absolutely. You know, I, I'm with you. I, I say that's a distraction and it's a fun distraction. That's that fun. Is, that is not yeah. entertainment. Yes. That is not storytelling. And that people's attention spans are getting uh, diminished because oh. of uh, uh, platforms like TikTok. Yeah. Um, what are you up to in the next 30 minutes after tonight's show? Oh. Well, first of all, I can I say one thing about 9-11 since it was yesterday? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of my dearest friends, I sent you a picture of him, actually, Jack Garrity and I. It was our 21st anniversary as friends. We were doing a show uh, called Relative Truth at the Emerging Artists Theater during 9-11. And we're bonded for life because of it. So I just wanted to say happy friends anniversary to my friend Jack. And tonight, I, I've got uh, my fellas downstairs. I'm going to make a little supper. He's working on a musical right now about uh, wrestlers. He's doing a big reading with our friend Jeremiah, who is in Funny Girl, actually. We just saw Funny Girl the other night. So I'm going to help him learn lines. Oh, good, good, yes. good, good. <laughs> so those who watch the show know I have a, a great calendar that I love called Daily Acts of Kindness, which I am a big proponent of. And it says, share a compliment about a coworker with your supervisor. Well, think of me as your supervisor tonight and i want that co-worker to be linda pearl Hello. so let's share a compliment about linda pearl i love linda pearl she, i think she's uh first of all she's an incredible actress she's an uh, incredible singer and she is an incredible friend now it's your turn linda pearl taught me what it was to be a leader in a show when we did tom sawyer together she saw the problems we were having as young ensemble women. She came to our rescue and she and I have stayed in each other's pocket ever since. She and Sally Wilford and I are bonded by that show. And I think she's compassionate and brilliant and earthy and warm. And I love her. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah. What are you most afraid in air quotes of winning at and if you do win what would that mean to you i can i can i be subversive because i'm not afraid of winning anymore if oh, you'd great. ask if you'd asked me that 10 years ago or 15 years ago i would have said i'm afraid because when you win you burn out so I always feel like if you win, it seems like the end of something. And then then what? And people will expect that same level from you. And you have no room to breathe after that. But I don't think that's true anymore. I'm not afraid of winning because I know there's an endless energy to all of us. And that even if the thing we win at next is quiet, it's still a win. Like we, we can keep winning throughout our life into our 80s and 90s. We just have to change our vision of what it means to win. Amen. Um, Patrick Ball says, uh, you look great. You worked in Tom Sawyer together. Yes. So, Hi, Patrick. Thank you for watching, so thank you for being here. Uh, this is my last uh, question statement tonight. And again, from my calendar. And I'm going to just read this um, because this was the statement that I pulled today. Yes. I'm better in my relationships with others when I get some quality time to take care of myself. So today's self-love action, and this is for everybody and you as well. Today, I'll take some quality time for me, whether it's 10-minute meditation break with my office door closed, a 45-minute soak in the tub 
with my favorite podcast. By the way, all of my shows are on podcasts. Uh, or 20 minutes of playing around with new hairstyles in the mirror. What do you do for Stacia just for your own quality time? I walk my dogs every day for about two miles. And every day I listen to meditation music. That is my time to disappear into daydreaming, into waterfalls, into whatever it is that my meditations are about. I do, I do walking meditation. That's wonderful. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to do a giveaway right now. And uh, I'm going to go here. And the word of the day is respect. Uh, I'm going to say a few words and then I'm going to give you the final word tonight. Uh, I've had a blast and I would love you to come anytime. My friend, Judy Mark and Judy Mark. Do you know Judy? I don't. Do I? Uh, well, Judy is an incredible entertainer in her own She's right. Beautiful. And, Judy uh, is beautiful. She is absolutely beautiful inside and out. And I'll give a plug. I hope she doesn't mind my saying this. She's writing a show about Gwen Burton that she is going to be debuting uh, in Cabaret. So Judy, give me a call in about half an hour. Give me a few, uh, a little time, but if you're still up in about half an hour, uh, call me in about half an hour and we'll talk on the phone. I love you, Judy. Thanks for being here tonight. So I want to say a few words and then I'm going to give you the final word. I'm going to come up for a close up here. Um, the word of the day is respect. Um, before you can respect anyone else, you have to respect yourself. And it's important that we take the time to respect ourselves. I was reading something the other day about how we start our days. When you get out of bed in the morning and your feet hit the floor, you can control the kind of day that you're going to have. You can set your mindset. Um, I am a huge proponent of Julia Cameron, the artist way. I begin every day. I go for a morning walk. Um, my dog, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, he is a Maltese and he doesn't like to go for walks because we have a backyard and he loves to run around in the backyard, but going for walks is difficult with him. So I go for a morning walk by myself. Good. I come back and we play in the backyard. Um, but I, uh, every morning I sit down and I do my morning pages and I set my intentions for the day. And every day I create what I consider my OBG of the day. And that's my one big goal of the day. And I am focused on that. And, uh, but with whatever I do, it's always respecting myself and respecting every person I come in contact with. I love that. And that's the way we interact on social media. And I've said this before, and I'm gonna say it again. When you're on social media, Everybody wants to be acknowledged. Everybody wants to be respected. And if somebody does a posting about their show or something that's uplifting, it takes very little effort to hit the like button, to leave a comment, or to share it. If it's something that's not going to uplift that person or to lift the person that they're talking about, because there's a lot of negativity out there, hit the delete button, hit the hide button, and don't stop it in its tracks. We all have the power to do that. We all can make a difference if we take the time to do so. I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Go to your Facebook friends list after tonight's show and reach out to the ninth name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call. And let that person know what they mean to you. Uh, because as my dear friend, Sean Moniker always says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. I always say, if you're going to go out in a boat, make sure you bring a skipper along. Thank you all for being here tonight. Stacia, I love you. I'm such a fan of yours. And Linda, this was a no-brainer. And thank you for saying yes. Thank you for being here tonight. And I can't wait to see you at the Paper Mill Playhouse in The Sound of Music. I will be there cheering you on. And hopefully a quick hello uh, after the show. And um, it's all yours. Anything you want to say about anything we talked about tonight that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just a final message for anyone else that you want to leave. And Danny, thanks for your uh, appearance tonight as well. Thank you so much. And it's all yours, Stacia. Goodbye. I just want to say 
What a surprise this was. What a surprise to be nervous or, you know, have excitement because nerves and excitement are the same thing. So I was very excited to come on here, but I had absolutely, because I don't know Richard, but I can tell you he's joyful. He talks about the right things. And it was my honor to be here with all of you. I hope everybody has a moment in each day to do exactly what Richard says. Set your intention, follow through. You can walk through a door. It's very easy. And if it doesn't feel good on the other side, it's within your power to walk out and close that door because another one will definitely open. Thanks everybody. I'm, I'm just thrilled to have been here.